is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Yeah. So 11 chapters, it's like a whole section. And, and you know, what, what, did, what was God's message? What was God's message in these chapters? And you can't, you really can't miss it. And yet, um, we try to plug our ears. There's some things we don't want to hear, but let's lay it out there. When God created this world, this universe, he did it, and there is none other. No one else could do it. And he had, he had such a simple plan. He was going to create this world, and he was going to create man in his own image, and they were going to have this beautiful walk together in the garden. And, and you know, he, that was God's plan. He's going to have this wonderful relationship with mankind. And it just sounds so glorious, and it was. You know, he gave he gave. Um, Adam work to do, and he was to name the animals, and he, it was just such a, a great, gorgeous, beautiful time, and, and they walked in the garden together, and, and, and then God, too, said, okay, this is how it's going to be. Um, this is how I'm going to create Eve out of a rib of man, and, and this is how it's going to be. Um, in Genesis 2.24, he created the institution of marriage. And again, this is so simple, he says. This is the way it's going to be. And there's no, there's no change because he doesn't change. So, you know, again, you can see why people want to toss that chapter out. So this is the way it was set up. It was going great. And then, and then in chapter 3, we saw how... Sin came into the world because of one, one piece of fruit that, of course, it wasn't the fruit, but it was just that seed of doubt that, that um, the, the enemy just created in, in Eve. Did God really say? Tom and I were talking about this this afternoon a little bit, and, we, and I said to him, really, you know, sin and self came into the world in Genesis 3 and ruined everything. Two things, like sin and self. Self is right up there. And, and when you start thinking only of yourself, and this is where it all, it all just it all went to pieces. So then God comes in and, and he says, these are the consequences. I hate sin. I mean, I gave you a choice. I mean, even in the perfect world, he gave them a choice. This is the, you can either eat from this tree or this tree um, or all the other trees, but this one tree, no, you cannot eat from this tree. And what God, again, very simple, all I want is your, is your listening to me. All I want is for you to obey. I mean, it, he's not asking for, for, for much, I mean, it isn't, he doesn't give you a list or a book full of things you cannot do. He's just saying, you know what? This is going to be bliss. We're just going to love this, this kind of world of relationship. If you just listen to me and you obey what I say, we won't have any problems. But in Genesis 3, it fell apart because that doubt went into that disobedience 
and disobedience led to consequences. See, that's another thing people don't want to read this about. They don't want to, they just want the good parts. They just want the, the good part of the story. You know, we can't teach our children about sin. We can't teach them. I mean, that's not good for kids. Let's just tell them the good parts. You know, I, I, I was listening to CSG a while back, and, and uh, don't you enjoy when they have the little kids tell the Bible stories, you know, in their own little version, you know? But this time, this time I'm listening, and here's this little boy. He's just going on, not about a day, about um, Samson. Oh, he, he is going on and on about hair was cut and then he lost his power and then, and then his hair grew back and then he got his power back. And then he ended his story by saying this because I was loving it until we got to the end and he said, Samson, he's my kind of guy. That's what he said. And I am so upset because I'm thinking, you know, somehow when he heard the story of Samson, Somehow he was not told that Samson was not a good, good man. He was not a good man. And, and this little boy, we don't want you to be like Samson. And, and so, you know, we have to be careful about making sure that we tell the whole story and children can handle the truth. I mean, how, how I mean, even for, for us adults, if we don't understand the depth of the severity of sin, if we don't see ourselves as lost and hopeless and and hellbound, really, if we don't see if we don't see ourselves as that, which is very clear in Scripture, how are we ever going to be excited about a Savior? I mean, if we didn't think we really needed a Savior that bad, I mean. Why would Good Friday and Easter, why would that even affect us? But when we, I think it affects, it should affect us more all the time because the more we get to know what he saved us from, I mean, I marvel at that. Every time I study more, I think what he saved me from, what I deserved, and what he saved me from, I can't help but just think of the cross and it shed blood for me and what I deserved but didn't get and it's called grace yeah I mean it's it's something we need the whole story then we will see the depths from what how we've fallen and yet we have this redeemer who can change it all back so Anyway, that's um, we saw from, from the consequences, you know, and then the next chapter was Cain and Abel, you know, of all the instruction about now you too, you too, Adam and Eve, you be fruitful and you multiply because you are going to be the ones that, that bring all the people to the world. So population explosion. But along with that population explosion, because self and sin has now become prime, we've seen sin explode. I mean, explode. And we took up all the, the people in the world. Remember we said by the time Adam died, there was a million people, you know? And, and uh, so you have all these related people, because it started with two, but now you have all these related people, and, and it, it's got to show us that you have Cain and you have Abel. What a difference in children. 
I mean, they're adults. They're going to make their own choice. See, this is another word that God really has shown us in Genesis, is that he gives us one of two choices. We either can listen to him and do it his way, or we can listen to our own self and then suffer the consequences. It's just not complicated. God did not complicate things when, when Genesis was written. He just laid it right out there. But because of the evil and, and because of the heart of man, because the, the heart of man, you can choose that. What kind of heart do I want? What kind of heart who am I listening to? That's what I wrote in, above Genesis story. Who am I listening to? I mean, there Eve was walking in perfection, and all it took was the enemy to just create that seed of doubt in her. And she could have said, you're a liar. That is not true. God said it, and that settles it. But we're so drawn to our own self. Oh, I kind of like that thought. Oh, I, me be like God? Oh, that's kind of intriguing. I think that sounds good to me. Our itching ears just gravitate to sin and self. I think the quicker we learn that about ourselves, the better we will be. That, that is what ruined everything. So now we have Cain and Abel. We've got those two, you know, men who are going to offer God a sacrifice. Not, no, an offering. He's, they're going to offer him an offering. And so Cain comes with this beautiful platter of vegetables. And, and Abel comes with his fat portions of the sheep. So you know which one was prettier, but we talked about that weeks ago. It's not the offering that we give the Lord. It's not what it looks like on the outside. God can see our heart motive, our heart condition. He can see if we're real or not. He can see if he's there. He can see if he's on the throne of our lives or, or are we? Are we sitting there saying, nope. I don't care what he says. I know that's what the Bible says, but you know, if this is if this is what makes me feel good, I'm going to do it. Well, it doesn't work that way with our God. So you know, then we see what happened. You know, all these new words have come in that were never there before, and now you start to see shame and guilt and all, and then you start to see mad and anger. You know, he got mad that Abel's offering was accepted by God and his wasn't it wasn't that the offering wasn't good it was that his heart's rotten and God can see that and we can camouflage we can really be so artificial on the outside and fool people but God can tell and so uh, he is mad he's mad at Abel takes him out on him he is mad turns to anger turns to hatred turns to bitterness and then he, then he starts plotting away let's see how it can intrigue him over to the field and then just kill him off well then there's consequences and Cain walked out he chose to walk out of the presence of God instead of there was so many times wasn't there in that chapter so many times that he could have repented he could have been so sorry for what he did but instead he he walked out of God's presence feeling sorry for himself but then what a line of people again I say evil keeps exploding 
And now we have the story of Noah, and God had had it. There's seven billion people supposedly on the earth by now, and there's only eight righteous people. Can you imagine the number, the comparison in numbers? That's how how evil will take even some of the best people down. And so here we have this um, seven billion, and God said, you know what, I've had it, and so I'm going to put you eight. I find favor with you, Noah, and your family. I'm putting you, I want you to build this ark of 450 feet um, long and, and uh, 45 feet high and 75 feet wide. I mean, what a monster of a thing. And he says, I want you to build it. A hundred years it took. And then he gets on, the Lord shuts the door. And then for seven days, he sits there. Seven days, he sits there with no rain, nothing. And the people are just howling on the outside, laughing their heads off. But then the rain comes down. And God gets rid of it, cleans this earth again. He cleans it. And then after, you know, a whole calendar year, then God says, you can get off the ark. And those eight got off the ark. And how fresh and how clean everything was. But yet, it was different this time because they stepped out into a clean world. But they themselves were humans, and they were sinners. And, and they weren't perfect anymore because they were conceived in sin, born in sin, and so it wasn't long before that evil explosion again. And we, we see the story about Noah. And, um, and you think, how can that happen? I mean, Noah walked with God, and he didn't care about the abuse. He didn't care about people laughing or anything like that. He, he's, he did everything God commanded him to do. Only someone who's walking with God will do that. When you walk with God, you know you are. When you walk with people, you know when you're walking with somebody. But the same thing is with God. When you walk with God, you know you are. And when you're not, you know that too. And he, when he walked with God, he was able to do, I mean, the impossible. He was able to make that barge of an ark. He was able to take the abuse. He was able to be a testimony to his sons what a visual for those boys to watch their dad just do whatever God said. When you walk with God, that enables you to do that. Then, then the next, you know, the next chapter, we know that, uh, I mean, it was probably years, years later because a, a vineyard has now grown. So to grow a vineyard, that takes time. So then Noah, then, then Noah somehow, and it, I know we don't know for sure, but yet common sense tells you that, again, when you walk with God, he is able to do, make this ark. When, when he's now walking with God, he's laying there drunk and naked in the tent. Now, we don't know why God came down so heavy on, on Ham's son, Noah came and put a curse on Ham's son, but there's, there's the, there again, the heart condition of those three boys. You know, those three sons, such a contrast, probably raised the same, heard the same gospel, same message. I mean, Noah was a testimony to all three of his sons, and yet 
am. He just thought it was funny. He thought it was hilarious. And so he comes out and he says, oh, wait, David the gem, wait till you see the old man. And how they, those two walked in and backwards and, and covered them and then walked out forward so they didn't see him. They respected, they honored their father. But then the consequences, and this is where we start kicking into tonight's lesson, because now we, we know that Ham and his son Canaan, they, Canaan is now, and why, did, why was the punishment on the grandson instead of the son? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, all I can say is that there must be more to the story, and God knows. And so that's all we have to know. He, he knew what was going on in their hearts, and he comes down heavy. So Canaan now, his line is going to now be slaves to his brothers. And now Japheth, Japheth is his territory, the territory he was going to be given. Now his territory is going to be extended. And Shem, of all the three boys, all the three sons, Shem must have had the heart that God was looking for, that must have taken from Noah. He watched Noah. He listened to Noah. He, he somehow said, I want that. And that is what then started the next line. That started the line of Jesus. And I had the best time. Did you ever read like Luke 3 or Matthew 1 and you start, you start to see all this lineage line and the, you can't even pronounce the names and so you just kind of skip it? I mean, you don't, you don't really see any value to that. But now, when you know how important a family name is and you then look at the line of Jesus and how meticulously, we're going to go over these, not, not all the names tonight, because I don't know how to pronounce them, but you're going to get the point, how these names are, are in Luke 3, when Luke um, got his information, he said, I want, I want to know the line of Jesus from Adam, right from the beginning. So then you're going to see how these names and how these nations now are real and, and that God does exactly what he says. So, all right, let's start. Chapter 10. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. Well, yeah, they did because there, there was only eight people and now they have to, again, replenish the population. And so now we, here's the sons of Japheth. Now, from what I read in verse 5, it says that um, they had territories. Japheth's, Japheth, Japheth became a nation of people, and their clan, it was it, by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. So I'm pretty sure chapter 10, the table of nations, is really after the Tower of Babel, because this is when, when it is now going to, the nations are going to get spread out over the world, and they're going to have different languages. 
So anyway, just so you don't get confused. So anyway, there's Japheth's um, descendants. And then they become a nation, and they're dispersed to another part of the world, and they have their own language. Now, Ham, I just found this so fascinating. The sons of Ham were Cush and Mezram, Put and Canaan. Now, the sons, those were the sons of Ham, and now the sons of Cush, now you read those yourself there. But the one, one, <laughs> but the one, the one son about, um, that we want to talk about is Cush's son. So Ham's grandson, his name was Nimrod. And Nimrod grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That confused me because I thought, oh, he was a hunter before the Lord. No, this before the Lord thing was that he was a hunter and, and showed off. He, he himself was, was reigning, believe me, because I'll, I'll tell you what I found out about him. But before the Lord, in other words, he was just, just kind of, he was doing all this before the Lord, and it didn't even, it didn't even, occurred to him that it was wrong. I mean, he deliberately just kind of thumbed his nose at, at God. Even though God was right there, he was a mighty hunter. He was a hunter, all right, but not of animals. He was a, he was a, a warrior, a hunter of men. His name alone means rebel. So that should show you right there. His whole heart, his whole heart condition, his name, he was rebellious. In fact, it was no doubt Nimrod who held the first opposition against God. He was the one that it's pretty much known that he was leading that whole thing about the Tower of Babel. He was the kingpin, and he was calling the shots he was strong. He was, he was known. He was mighty. But, you know, something, something else about Nimrod. I, I, he, he was known. This is what he was known as, a fighter, a killer, and he ruled worthlessly. So oh, he, he, he was offensive in the face of God. And so then, look at what his kingdoms, it says, the hunter before the, the first centers of his kingdom, look at the first, the first one, Babylon. The first, the first center of his kingdom was Babylon. And then look at verse 11, from that land he went to Assyria. Another name that should ring a bell because Assyria is who the Lord used when, when the northern kingdoms of Israel were being rebellious and, said, and worshiping other gods. And then he warned them and warned them and warned them and they didn't listen. So he said, okay, the pagan nation of Assyria is going to take you captive. And we never heard of those 10 tribes. Again, the northern kingdom of Israel, we never heard of them again. And look, from that land, he went to Assyria, where he built, look at this, this out of trigger, Nineveh. Yeah, Nineveh. 
And then down in verse 13, I just wanted to pinpoint some of these names that we know. Look at from whom the Philistines came. I mean, these are the, these are the absolute worst enemies of God's kingdom. Canaan was the father of Sidon in verse 15. Cain, Cain was the um, father of Sidon. Now, that triggered something for me from last year. And I went to Luke chapter 10 with verse 13 where Jesus is talking and he has got his, the rebellious um, uh, Pharisees who will not acknowledge that he, that he is the Messiah. And um, he says to the people who are giving him such a difficult time, he says, if I were to show them and preach to them what I'm showing you and preaching to you, the people of Tyre and Sidon would, would repent. I mean, he used that as an example because they were still notorious. Even in Jesus' day, the towns of Tyre and Sidon were still known as re unrepentant pagans. Now, um, it says later... The Canaanites, well, not, more like Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites. I mean, you, you study the Old Testament. Those all trigger some of the worst enemies and, that Israel had. And later, the Canaanite clan scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached Sidon and toward Gerar as far as Gaza. Hmm, that ring a bell? <laughs> Gaza. And then toward Sodom and Gomorrah. I think when you read those, can't you see that, that when God said, and you could see Ham's heart, and then the consequences of his generation I think this is one of the best messages. I mean, when I first read chapters 10 and 11, I sat there thinking, this is, I don't think I could come up with anything. Lord, only you are going to be able to show me what, what you have this in scripture for. But it didn't take long to see how, how God is trying to show us how we are responsible for the next generation. And if you are not teaching them about a savior and, and sin and our need of a savior, if you're not teaching that, they're, they're not going to know it. And then guess where they go? All for themselves. And that's the world we live in, a self-absorbed world. So now we have Sodom and Gomorrah in there. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. So now Ham Ham's descendants dispersed and went over on different parts of the world and had their language. Now, Shem's descendants. So, sons were born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. Now, when you go to Luke 3, you will see son, the sons of Shem, and then you see um, from, and then verse 25, two sons were born to Eber, and you see a name there, and, and you, you go to Luke 3, and you start picking out these names, and you think, okay, what was it about these 
these names, these men that are in the line of Christ. We're going to get more into that. So, so, okay, now the sons of Shem, verse 31, they're, they're, their clans and languages and their territories and nations, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Okay, now we have a population. We have three sons that have now have nations and languages and they've been dispersed over the world. So now this is why I think this is the Tower of Babel happened before they were all dispersed because look, now the whole world had one language and a common speech and as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. So you know what a big crowd will do. I mean, you get a big population in one place with one language. You know, Nimrod, if it's true that he is leading the pack here, I mean, you know, he's just a power hitter, and he's got everybody convinced. Yeah, sinful human nature can get pretty powerful and convincing because natural human sinful nature is drawn to what they want and what they want to hear and what they want to do. And so this is what they did as a big group together and, and they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. I tried so hard to find out exactly why they chose bricks and bake them thoroughly and why they chose bricks over stones, it says, and tar for mortar. I mean, I th is there something about that that's really spiritual that I don't want to miss? Couldn't find anything. So uh, I don't know. And, and even if there is, I mean, I think we get the picture that he, they want to build these bricks, bake them thoroughly. Maybe that makes them harder. So they'll last longer, you know. Maybe they can they can build more evenly than stones. I mean, they had plans. They they wanted this thing to be erected high so that when their children and children's children would see that tower, they would talk about them. They'd talk about Oh, I heard this story about when Grandpa or when when Dad, you know, they they love that attention. That's what they said. Then they said, "Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth." It's like they kind of knew that they were going to have to disperse. But they don't want to. They, they know, boy, there's power in numbers. And they want to make a name for themselves. That should have given you shivers from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes because there's trouble there. When you hear them say, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Let's, let's build so that it's so recognizable and we'll make a name for ourselves. Do you hear the mice and ourselves? And never once was God ever, ever consulted in this. See what happens when all of a sudden God's not consulted and, you're, and he, he's never even in the picture? 
Oh, he's in the picture. He's watching all this. But God is just letting them think that they're so smart. They're so smart. They think that they can handle this, everything about life themselves. And they, they want to make a name for themselves. And God is nowhere home. They're pushing God out. Does that sound familiar? I mean, we are living in that so today. People in, in all walks of life are trying to make a name for themselves and that God is not consulted about their plans. I mean, I think about um, Proverbs 3, you know, 5 and 6, and I can't help, and there again, I know why, why Hilda just loved that verse too, but, but um, when, when Solomon says, this is what he expects, he's not complicated. All he wants you to do is trust him with all your heart. Stop leaning on your own understanding because that's never smart enough. God always is, well, God's wisdom is always better. Even though you might not like it or understand it, or in all your ways, acknowledge him. Bring him into the equation. Ask him, what should I do? And the verse says, if you do that, he'll show you. He will direct your paths. I mean, many of you have heard me tell this story about when Chad was 17 and he was trying to decide what he was going to do with his life. And he takes life seriously, very seriously. So he was sitting on his bed and he was, tears were rolling down his face. And, and I said, what is the matter? Because he's not like that usually. And he said, I just don't know what to do. I mean, my whole future is in this decision and I just don't know what to do. I don't know, should I, should I join the Marines? Should I go to college? I mean, I just don't know. And I said, well, have you prayed about it at all? You know, have you prayed? And this, this is what he answered me. He said, I know I should be. You know, so he knew that's what he should be doing. He should be asking the Lord. I mean, he knows better. I know I should be. But then he went on. He said, but wonder if my will and his will don't match up. See, down deep, you still want your way. And he's a good boy. He's a good kid. And, and he was then, but you could just tell. But, but wonder if God doesn't give me what I want, and then my future will be, I'll be unhappy, and I'll just... When yet we're, we're so taught that God's will, we should want nothing but his will. He should always be brought into the equation because he's the one that's going to lead the path. He's the one that says, just deny yourself. Come on, just take it up here. Take this, this decision up and follow me. I'll show you. Oh, you know, this is such dangerous territory when you leave God out of your decisions. And he isn't top priority because no one knows you better than he does. No one knows what's best for you than he does. And his will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. I mean, I know that he's got a whole different definition of perfect than what we do because, you know, or and good too. I mean, his definition of good is when you're doing it my way, when you're trusting me and listening to me and obeying me, life's good. But I will. And you should want nothing less than my will for you, even if it's not what you planned, because my will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Keep God in the equation. I mean, these, this was terrible. And, and it just shows their character because of their heart condition. 
But verse five, the Lord came down. That's intriguing too, isn't it? What do you mean the Lord came down? You know, was that really Jesus? Did he, did he come down? I mean, we know in the Old Testament that the incarnate Christ, he showed up every now and then. And so, I mean, we, we see in this chapter how the Trinity is always in action. Each person doing his job just the way he's supposed to. All equal Godhead, but yet every one of the three persons doing just what needs to be done at that time. So, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. I mean, he, we know he could see everything, but he comes down and, and gets a feel, and, and, and the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. He's basically saying, if I don't do something, it is going to just spiral. It's just going to keep exploding. Evil and self is just going to keep taking them all in the wrong direction. This is where I see grace. Because, you know, there were so many, there's so many times in Genesis 1 to 11, actually 3 to 11, that he could have just said to the, I'm done with this. Just plain done with this. And he keeps coming back with a way out. So the Lord came down and said, I know if I don't do something, it's just going to get worse. Come let us go down and confuse their language. There's that us. You know, at creation, remember, the Holy Spirit hovered over. You know, before, before I ever do a class, I mean, like, like tonight, I, said to the, I say this all the time to the Lord, Lord, just have your Holy Spirit just hover over Central Legacy Room. I feel so much more empowered and strengthened when I know the Holy Spirit is hovered over this whole room. And then what's so beautiful is that the Holy Spirit that was gifted to you and I on the day of our salvation then starts, you know, he's hovering over the whole place. And then he starts taking off individually in our own hearts to make sure this lesson is, is learned by each and every one of us in a different way or where, where we need to hear it and learn it. But the thought that the Holy Spirit, even right there, all three are working together. Come, let us go down and confuse our language. Wouldn't you love to have been there? I mean, they think they're so smart, and they're all in this big crowd, you know, and they're just planning all, all these big plans, and they're just jabbering, jabbering, jabbering with each other, and, you know, one story bigger than another one. I could just hear them. And then all of a sudden, they can't understand each other. How humbling that had to been. They can't communicate. They can't, they can't make sense of each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. See? Oh, God, it worked. 
Yep, they stopped. They couldn't understand each other, so they stopped building this city, and that's why it's called Babel, because the, there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them from over the face of the whole earth. So then all of a sudden you have Ham's descendants going in this direction with their new with their language. And now you have Japheth's descendants going in another direction with their language. And then you have Shem's descendants going in another direction with their language. Now, this is the account of Shem. You know, this is um, how God is going to still continue the line to bring Jesus here. And like I said, Luke 3 is the one chapter that we'll see from, from Adam all the way to Jesus. So, and then again, to see these names. So two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxed. Arphaxed. And after he became the father of Arphaxed, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. Now, I read that the first time and didn't really think too much of it. I mean, I thought, okay, after 500 years. Remember, remember um, about um, when, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, God was talking about these people that lived, you know, uh, like Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. You know, Adam lived so long, then he died. And then, and then you know, they, they all died. There was that one phrase that we heard over and over. And the point was, God does what he says. You disobey me, you're going to die. Even though when he told that to Adam, Adam probably didn't have a clue what that meant. But we know now he meant it. You will not live forever in, in that garden. You will not live. Um, your body will die. And sure enough, I mean, after enough repetition, we get the point. They might have lived hundreds of years, but they died, every last one of them. Now, we, we see this in, in this chapter, and there's another phrase that keeps coming up. And I think before... I don't really think I cared. I don't know. But now I thought, if God is going to say that phrase that many times, there's got to be something he wants us to know. So when Arphaxed had lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Arphaxed lived for three years, and he had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he became the father of Eber. And after he became the father of Eber, Shelah lived for three years and had other sons and daughters. See, it's like, yeah, and they had other sons and daughters. Hmm. And when Eber had lived 34 years, he became the father of Peleg. After he became the father of Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he became the father of Ru. And after he became the father of Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. Oh, hey, did you notice they're getting, they're, they're living less and less. 
from 969 years of Methuselah. Now we're down, we're going down to um, 119 pretty soon. So going down. When Ru lived 32 years, he became the father of Sarag. And after he became the father of Sarag, Ru lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarag lived 30 years, he became the father of Nahor, and he became the father of and he became the father of Nahor. Oh, wait a minute, let me start. When Sarag had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nahor. And after he became the father of Nahor, Sarag lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. So you see the phrase that keeps coming up? And they had some more sons and daughters. But did you, did you see that one name stands out? And then there's other sons and daughters. So they, they had a bazillion kids. But, but what, what is it about that one name? And there you go to Luke 3. And you see that one name is in the line of Christ. And why, of all the sons and daughters, and we know that each one of the fathers had many sons and daughters. I mean, that was repeated over and over. But how come one name in each generation, each generation had this one name? And, and there, when you, you see it so, I mean, it's, it's really quite exciting when you go to Luke 3 and you see the word Sarah and Rue, and, and, you know, they're right there. So the big question I think that we have to think about is what is it among all those sons and daughters of each family, why was that one picked? In the line of Christ, why are there certain names and even five women? God can see their heart. He can see if there's potential. He can see if, if, if that person will trust them, like you now, we're going to get into, um, you know, like with, with Noah. Look at Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Obviously, Shem was the one that was picked to be in the line of Christ. But Noah had two other sons. How come they were picked? And it's, it's so, you know, from what we see from the, their character. I mean, Japheth wasn't um, a bad kid. I don't, you know, obviously. But, but yet he's still under Seth. And of course, Ham and his choices. But our choices depict our character. And God can see if, if there's something about us that he can use. Is there potential that I can trust that they will listen and they will obey? Okay, it said, after Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So now we have Terah, who, who had three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah. The way this, this beautiful scripture is laid out, you can see that God is getting us ready for like part two. Genesis 12. Remember, he made a covenant with Adam. Adam blew it. 
He made a covenant with Noah. Noah blew it. But, but remember how we left last week. I can't, I can't forget to say this because I don't, none of us wanted to leave last week thinking that, oh, Noah really, really sunk to the bottom. He made a mistake. And yet, what do we know about confession and repentance? He, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And then we see in Hebrews 11, verse 7, that by faith, Noah... That's what we remember, his faith. He's not saying that the, the people he pick are perfect. He knows we're all conceived and born in sin, but he can tell whether we want to see sin as serious, to see that he doesn't want us to live that way. He's doing it because he loves us and he wants our best interests because sin will lead to consequences, and, and he, he's just trying to spare us. So Terah had three sons also, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And now Terah is a count. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nerah, Abram, Nahor, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. So Haran died. So two sons are left, and Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Just so you don't have to figure out, yeah, um, uh, Nahor married his niece. So, but that was no big deal back then. So, you know, I don't want you to take that too seriously. But just so that, that little tidbit of information there. The day is going to come, though, where the Lord really puts his foot down on, on um, how, how he wants the marriage to go. You know, like we talked about, do not be yoked with an unbeliever. And, you know, you have nothing in common. So, but right now, you know... Um, there had to be a reason he put that in there. So, and maybe to show us that, I don't know, their, their characters aren't what God can use. I mean, their hearts were not in the right state because Abram was picked. But look at verse 30. Now, Sarah was barren and had no children. And, and I'm thinking, oh, the way God put that in there now to show us Abraham, Abraham, he's going to tell Abram that he's going to have descendants as many as the sands of the sea and the sky and stars in the sky. And he's got a wife that's barren. He picks Abram because Abram's going to say, okay. Now, who can do that? Only someone who's walking with God and trusts that, that God has a plan. And all he's responsible for is to listen and to obey, and to keep listening and hearing God's word and instruction. You know, um, Chad, at a sermon Sunday, he said um, when he was teaching at, at uh, Center College in Pella, he, he said um, at the end of his, he, he taught, a course on New Testament. And at the end of the year, at the end of the course, he said, um, I, will, I will let you forfeit the exam 
and I will give you a straight A for the whole course if you memorize the Sermon on the Mount. If you memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you get an A. You get an A for the whole year. And he, then he went to explain why. He says, you know, I know you'll cram like crazy to get a good grade, but you won't remember it. You probably don't remember half the stuff I taught you this whole time. But if I can get you to memorize the Sermon on the Mountain, that will stay with you, and that's the instruction that Jesus gives us on how to live. He said, that's what I want you to always remember. So, you, you know, he wants us, he wants a heart that is willing to listen and obey. Like I said when we started tonight, God is not complicated. Even in these 11 chapters, all he wants is for us to listen to him and obey him. And, and, and that's why we chose the songs we did tonight. is because I wanted you to know that he is worthy of it being exalted. There's no other person. There's no other God, little g, that is worthy of exaltation like our God. And you can almost sense it when you sing it. You can almost picture him on his throne with that rainbow from Revelation 4, that rainbow, not half a rainbow. This is the rainbow that encircles his throne. You can almost picture. And then, and then, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, there is none beside thee. You are the only one. To be able to know there is no one like you with such love and with such power and with such purity. And that's the God who's saying, just listen to me. I made you. you I made you in my image. I, I made you so that you, I would give you all the tools that you need to live such an abundant life. Don't get sucked up like, like the Living Bible says. Don't let the world suck you into its mold. Don't let the explosion of evil, don't be gullible to think that you, you can't get drawn into that unless you are grounded in God's word and listening to him. We, in our sinful nature state, will get sucked up into that. Here we get just a little snippet of, of the character of Abram, a barren wife, and yet wait till next week and we hear God tell him what he's going to do with Abram. So how do, how, do we, how do we end a lesson like tonight? You know, it says here that Terrell lived 205 years and he died in Heron. Was that a little confusing when they named towns and sons the same name? You know, we're not done with that because in the Old Testament, we, we see that happening often. But it's confusing when, you know, Heron and then the town of Heron. But anyway, um, how, how do we end this? And I, I still say it's the last question. I hope you took the time to answer that last question in, in the questions because I, I said this. I said, look at your life. 
Now, we know that Jesus has come, and so we don't need to be looking for a line of Christ because he's already come. And so I don't want anybody to think, well, I wonder who he's going to pick in our family. <laughs> because th that's, this is so different now. I mean, but I think the principle is still the same. He can see your heart, and he knows who he can use. And he knows that who's going to trust his word and not waver. He needs more Noahs because there's, there's so many of us that when somebody snickers or laughs at us a little bit, oh, we just compromise and just go with the flow. But we need to stand alone sometime. We need to be braver because we know it's right. Look at your life. What has God planned for you to do for the expansion of his kingdom? And, and maybe you kind of took that like, well, you know, I teach Sunday school or I, you know, I do this or that, you know, and that's all well and good. But what has God planned for you to do for the expansion of his kingdom? What has he planned for you? He keeps changing. I know for, for me personally, he keeps changing. He keeps changing what he wants me to do. He starts with me doing this and then, oh, get too old for that or got voice trouble for that, so then we'll put you here. I mean, he, he plays, he's got that all planned on how he's going to use this. But the, the bottom line, the foundation, I think, of that question is what he plans for you and I to do is to take the book he has written, and we say every week, every word is true. It's all that we need. Do we really trust it? Do we really trust it? And do we really hear his instruction? And are we willing to hear it and then to be obedient to it? And then you watch him. Then you watch him take you to do the activities. But he plans for you and I to stay close to him, to stay walking with him, doing what it takes to keep walking with him. That's what he's planned for you and I. That's what he planned for Adam and Eve. But he plans that for you and I. He plans for you and I to stay walking with him. So then when he does, when you trust him with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding in all your ways, you keep bringing him into the, into the picture, he will direct your path. Then he'll show you. It's not so much the things you're doing. It's the heart condition that he's able to work with. Are you pliable? Will you do, are you willing to do and be what he wants? Are you willing to almost hand your life over and say, well, if you can use me in here, if someone can hear the gospel or understand Jesus through my testimony or through my suffering, are you willing? Last night we were coming home and Tom said this to me. He says, I got the ending. I got the ending for your study. The wall, you know, this is so wonderful because, you know, I've got to tell you the truth. And he will, he will say, I mean, he was always, he's always supportive. He's always been supportive of me. And, and, and you know how I, I used to say I'd come home all excited, you know, from Monday night or Tuesday morning or whatever, you know. And I'd come home and he'd be watching this or this football game, usually Monday night. Come home on Monday night. He'd be watching Monday night football. And he tried so hard to listen. He tried so hard to listen, and, and, you know, he would try to keep looking at me, but I could tell when one eye would just kind of go up there. <laughs> Man, I, 
thought, you just don't get this. And then he started coming. Then he started coming. And, and I think he would be the first to tell you that, you know, God can get a hold of you and show you what his word says. It's so clear, not complicated. And he started hearing that. I mean, I've always loved the Lord, just saved for years and years. But I'm talking about the maturing and growing in the Lord. And so now, now he's starting to take over the ending of the studies. <laughs> and I just love it. I just love it. But he had such a good point. And he said, you know, if, even though, of course, the line of Jesus isn't critical and Marcus Jesus is here, but, um, uh, but wonder if we lived back there. Wonder if we were in the families here. Would our name be there? Would, would we be the one that, got, that was chosen to follow through with the line? And that is something to think about. Do we live our life? Is our, is our heart in, in such good condition? Do we trust the Lord with all our heart and all of our ways acknowledge him and we let him direct our paths because he is in everything that we ask, that we need in our lives. We invite him to come in and show us. Would our, would our name, would our name be there? So, you know, something to really take a look at our hearts. Because you know what? Even though, even though we might not have to, we're not in the line of Christ anymore, he still wants to use us. He wants to use you and I. We, we need, we have a generation. What are we showing the next generation? We're, too, we're, so, we're getting so wimpy. And we're not showing the next generation what the answer truly is. And we need to stand, even if we have to stand alone sometimes, or we let those kids roll their eyes all the time. They think that they've got such an old-fashioned parents or whatever they want to call name they call. Yeah. With grandchildren, with even great-grandchildren, do they... What kind of testimony are we? Are we convinced that Jesus is the answer, that his word is something we need to follow? Or are we still saying, oh, Samson's my kind of guy? We got to tell him the truth. We are sinners. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And we have one. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson. At first, I just had no idea what you were going to, what you were going to show, but there, show us. But there is so much. Being that everyone had sons and daughters, they had a clan, they had plenty of kids, and yet what stood out, Father, may we take a look at our heart. May we see if we are really if you're really pleased with that heart condition, because you are, the harvest is ripe and the workers are few. That's a sad thing. Do we have the kind of heart that's willing to say, Lord, in view of what you have done for us, may we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. Lord, you are so worthy, and someday we will stand before you, and instead of being an offense to your face like Nimrod was, Father, we pray we put a smile on yours. So it's all, it's our choice. That's the word that keeps coming up. 
Lord, I pray that with the power of your Holy Spirit, we will choose you. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.